Now, we're going to start by playing a, a word association game. So in a second, I'm going to put a word on the screen. I'm going to give you like a second or two to think about it. And then together, we're all going to, you don't have to scream it, but just say out loud, what was the first word that came into your mind when you saw this word on the screen? So let's go ahead and put it up. All right, so on the count of three, say the first word that came to your mind. One, two, three. Okay. It's a little bit more awkward than I thought it was going to be. I don't actually know what you all said, but I know when you even hear the money, hear the word, see the word money, or even hear someone talking about money, it just gets weird. It gets a little bit awkward, and often it's even painful for some people to talk about money. Now, if you're going to talk about money from the perspective of like, hey, let's talk about our national debt crisis, or let's talk about the global poverty uh, situation, I'm cool to talk about that. I can engage in that money conversation, but if you make it personal, well, not so much. That's like off limits. Imagine if I came up to any one of you and just asked you this question. So just out of curiosity, how much money do you make? Or if I asked you that question, uh, or if I asked you this question of, hey, now that I know how much money you make, how much of that money do you actually spend on yourself? Or if I asked you the question just out of curiosity, how much money do you actually owe to Mr. Visa or Miss American Express? Or if I asked you the question uh, just out of curiosity of all that money that you just told me you make, how much do you actually give that away to help other people? Like these are weird questions that we don't ask each other because I'm guessing if I asked you that, you'd either want to throat punch me or you'd probably just be like, Michael, that is absolutely none of your business to ask me those questions. Like talking about money publicly is hard. And I think it's hard to talk about money, and I don't mean just me talking about it now, but just talking about it with each other because it's personal. And anytime we have something in our life that we deem as personal, it's personal. I mean, it's between me and me. I don't talk about it. I don't share about what is personal to me. But for Jesus, when you walk through the Gospels, he actually talked about money a lot, like a lot. It was not weird or awkward for Jesus to actually talk about money. A third of the parables that Jesus told, stories that Jesus told, a third of them were about money. And what's interesting to note about Jesus when he would talk to people about money is he never asked people to give, them, give him their money. He didn't want their money. Jesus actually wanted something very, very different. He wasn't after their money. He was after something else. Now, before we look at what the something else was that Jesus was after, I want to look at a passage in Luke chapter 12, uh, specifically something that Jesus said about money. This is Luke 12, verse 13 through 15. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to, said to them, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Interesting. This guy wanted Jesus to deal with his brother around the matter of being selfish, but Jesus wanted to deal with something this man could not see in the mirror. He wanted to deal with this individual's greed. See, his problem was not with his brother. His problem was with greed in his heart. And that's why Jesus says, be on guard against every kind of greed, meaning greed has many, many faces. 
It's hard to see greed in the mirror, isn't it? Like, when's the last time you looked in the mirror and be like, wow, you are so greedy? Like, we don't look at ourselves through that lens that we are greedy. It's easy to spot greed in other people, but how difficult it is to spot greed in our own hearts. Uh, In over 20 years of doing pastoral ministry, and I'm not exaggerating here to make some point, this has never happened to me. I've never had one person come to me and say, hey, Michael, I'm really struggling with greed right now. What encouragement, what advice would you have to give me? That's never happened. I've had a lot of people say, hey, I'm struggling with lust, or I'm struggling with pride, or I'm struggling with arrogance, or I'm struggling with so many different things and addictions, but I've never had one person come up to me and ask me for help because they're battling or struggling with greed in their heart. Now, I'm not surprised by that because greed is very stealth. It's very subtle. It's very sneaky. So the question that we can ask ourselves is, well, what is greed? I don't want to assume we're all working from the same definition of greed. So what does Jesus actually have to say about greed? And he answers that question in, the, uh, in this story in Luke 12, verse 15. One's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. One's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. So Jesus makes a connection here for us between greed and the abundance of one's possessions. See, greed is based on one major assumption that all I have is for my consumption. That's the assumption that greed makes. Everything I have, it is ultimately for my consumption. I think when we often think of greedy people, we think of people who we deem to be rich or we deem to just have a ton of stuff. But I just want you to know you can be poor and still be greedy. You can be obviously well off and be greedy. Greed is not based on a specific number on a spreadsheet. Greed is an attitude of the heart that has one assumption. Everything I have is ultimately for my consumption. You see, greed tells us that every dollar that comes my way is either for me to spend now or to save later in order to spend it then. What Jesus wanted them and wants us to know is that life is not about accumulating more stuff. Life is not about newer and nicer, bigger and better. Life is not about updates and upgrades. And so Jesus wants to, again, illustrate greed in the heart for us, and so he tells us a story. He tells us a parable. This is the parable that he teaches in Luke chapter 12. We're going to start here at verse 16. He told them a story. A rich man had fertile farm that produced fine crops. And he said to himself, well, what should I do? He's having a conversation with himself. What should I do? I don't have room for all my crops. And then he said, oh, I know. I'll tear down my barns and I'll build bigger ones. Then I'll have room enough to store all my wheat and other goods. And I will sit back and I'll say to myself, friend, you have enough stored away for years to come. Now take it easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. So you read that story, and you hear, and you're like, that guy's living the American dream. Like, that is the dream that so many people have, is to have enough money, resources, to buy what you want, to spend on what you want now, but also to have enough money to one day 
purchase all the other stuff that you want that day. People back then, as well as probably many of us, would look at this guy in the story and be like, man, this guy's blessed by God. Like, he's got so much. Clearly, God's favor, clearly God's blessing is on this individual. I mean, he's able to just say to himself, take it easy, eat, drink, and be happy, be merry. Now, some of us might be thinking, Michael, great story, but I cannot relate whatsoever even remotely close, I cannot relate with this guy in the story. And I would say, really? I think we can relate probably a little bit more than we maybe like to admit. Have you ever experienced any of these things? I need to find a place to store all the things that I'm not currently using because my basement, my attic, and my closets are absolutely overflowing. Or have you ever thought to yourself, you know, we should probably have a garage sale pretty soon because all the new stuff and all the old stuff is just causing a ton of clutter around the house? Or have you ever thought to yourself, you know, I really need more closet space because it doesn't make sense for my spring and summer wardrobe to exist together, and I can't have my fall and my winter wardrobe living in the same closet, and I've got like two dozen pairs of shoes, and those are overcrowding. I just need more closet space. Point being, I think we can relate with this guy probably more than we'd like to actually admit. Now, we might not say this out loud because we wouldn't want anyone to judge us for saying this or even thinking this, but how many of us would be like, actually, I'd be totally pretty excited to be the guy in the story, to have enough to get everything you want now and to have enough for later to get all the other stuff? Like, how many of us just quietly in our minds and heart be like, I would totally love to be in this guy's shoes? Well, what Jesus says about this guy would absolutely have shocked the crowds, and it might even surprise some of this. In Luke chapter 12, verse 20, but God said to him, you fool. God calls this guy who had a conversation with himself about all that he had and what he could do and would do one day, God looks at him and says, you fool. Gosh, why is this guy a fool? He's living the dream, isn't he? He has everything he wants, but God says you're a fool. Well, listen to why God says this man is a fool in verse 20. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? See, this guy failed to see that his life was just for now. He failed to see that his life is a mist, it's a vapor, it's a breath that appears for a time and is gone ever so quickly. What God told this man was this, you may not be out of money, but you're out of time. You may not be out of grain, but sir, you are out of time. And then Jesus gets to the point of this parable with a question that should give all of us some semblance of pause. The question in verse 20, who will get what you have prepared for you. Who's going to get all that you have prepared for yourself? Again, this guy lived out the greed in his heart, and that greed is that idea, the assumption that all I have, it's for me. All I have is for my consumption. And so the answer to the question that Jesus is asking, who's going to get all of this that you prepared for you? It's a very simple answer, but it's very sobering. Somebody else. Somebody else will get this, and not because you were generous, but because you are dead. Now, this might sound obvious, but we will all run out of time before we run out of stuff. All of us. 
we will all run out of time before we run out of stuff. And so what Jesus says to the crowds, and what I think he's saying to us here in Luke 12, verse 21, this is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich towards God. I'm pretty confident that at the end of all of our lives, you would not want someone coming to your memorial, or you wouldn't want someone coming to your funeral and saying of you, man, they were great at consuming Man, they were great at always updating and upgrading. Man, that, that individual, that family, that person, that couple, they were awesome at newer and nicer and bigger and better. I don't think any one of us would want that being said of us at our memorial. I'm guessing what all of us would love to be said about us is that man, that woman, wow, they were rich towards God. Now, the obvious question is, well, what on earth does it mean to be rich towards God? Like, what does that actually look like practically day to day to be a man or a woman that is rich towards God? And thankfully, in the same section of Scripture in Luke 12, Jesus answers that one question with one life-changing verse. And I say life-changing because it's been a verse that our church has been sitting in now for months. Luke 12, verse 31 Seek the kingdom of God above all else, and he will give you everything you need. Now, in between this parable and that one verse is a whole section, about 10 verses long, where Jesus is talking about you have so much worry, you have so much anxiety, you have so much stress over how are we going to eat, and how are we going to dress, and how are we going to have all these daily things that we need to take care of. And Jesus says, do not worry about your life. And Jesus says, if you want to be rich towards God, seek the kingdom of God above all else, and he'll give you everything that you need. So to be rich towards God is to put God and his kingdom first above everything else, including, especially including, our finances. I find it amazing that so many men and women who want to follow Jesus in every area of their life, I'll follow Jesus when it comes to my work. I'll follow Jesus when it comes to my relationships. I'll follow Jesus when it comes to my family. But when it comes to my finances, no, 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 no. I I just struggle to follow Jesus when it comes to my finances. But why is that? What is it about money or possessions that we have such a difficult time following God in? I think the answer is pretty simple. We view ourselves as owners of everything we have rather than managers of everything we've been given. I think the answer is really, it's it's simple. The reason that we struggle to follow Jesus when it comes to finances, when it comes to money, is because we think of ourselves first and foremost as owners rather than managers of what God has given to us. Now, everything screams, though, in our life that we are owners. Like everything we talk to ourselves about and everything that people say of us makes it seem like we're owners. This is your money. You earned it. It's your paycheck that's going into your bank account from the job that you worked, the job that you put in the hours at. This is your money. It is absolutely your money. So when it comes to money, the language that we use, it reflects it is ours. We're owners. I mean, we honestly sound an awful lot like the guy who's the fool in the parable, Because he talked, my crops, my barns, my surplus. So if we'd be rich towards God, we must make the switch. 
not just in our minds. It's not a mental thing. We must make the switch in our hearts that we are not owners. We are managers. And here's what I've noticed in my own life. That which I think I own actually owns me. The things that I think I own in time begin to own me. And here's what I mean. There are things sometimes that my heart really wants this, whether it's to go on this trip, this vacation, whether it's to get the latest, coolest tech gadget, whether it's to do something to update or improve our home. And what happens is that even though I don't actually own any of those things, they begin to own me because I'm thinking about those things and I'm spending time researching those things and I'm figuring out, well, how can I actually get some of those things? And before I know it, those wants and those wishes that I have slowly begin to own me. They own my time. They own my mind. They own my heart. And so when Jesus is teaching on money, he's trying to help people understand you don't have a financial problem. You have a heart problem. We don't have financial problems. We have heart problems. In Luke 12, verse 34, Jesus says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So if you want to know where your heart is, follow the trail of your money. Follow the trail of where you spent it and where you sent it because your money follows your heart every time. Your money follows your heart. And what Jesus is saying is that if you want to change where your heart is going in life, change where your money is going in life. This is where we might push back and just say, I knew it. Jesus just wants my money. That's all he cares about is he just ultimately wants my money. I want you to know Jesus is not after your money. He's after your heart. He is after your heart. And the best way for Jesus to get a hold of your heart is for Jesus to get a hold of how you are currently thinking about the money the possessions that God has entrusted to you. I don't want to be like that guy in the parable who was a fool because he was blinded by his own greed. Because he bought into the assumption that everything I have is ultimately for my consumption. Following Jesus means following Jesus as Lord of every area of your life, especially when it comes to money and finances. So I want to finish with just maybe two practical steps that we can take. If you and I would guard against every kind of greed that could come into our hearts, come into our minds, if you and I want to grow in actually being rich towards God in all areas of our life, I want to share with you two steps that we can take today. Number one is this, identify where His money is going. Identify where His, not yours, where His money is going. Give you an example here. If you had a financial investor and you went to your financial investor and said, hey, here's $50,000, which is a ton of money, right? Here's $50,000. I want you to do what you think is best with this. And a year goes by and you have a conversation with your financial investor and you ask your, how did it go? How the 50,000 that was mine that I entrusted to you, how did you do with it? Like, where are we at with the money that I put into your hands? Well, what would you do if your financial investor simply said to you, well, I'm not really sure what happened to it. I actually haven't been keeping great track of where it all went. Well, I'm guessing you would say to that financial investor, you're a terrible financial investor. 
I think you would say to that person, you are fired. Why would you get rid of them? Well, we would get rid of them because we hold people accountable for what they're responsible for. You put something in that individual's hands, you're going to hold them accountable for what they were responsible for. So my question is, in my financial investor example, who owned the money, the financial investor or you? Well, obviously, in this example, you. You asked your financial investor to invest, to take care of something, to manage it, but he or she was not the owner. My point is, all of us here are managers of God's resources, God's money, the finances that God has put into our hands. We are managers. We are not owners. God owns it all. I'm going to share with you one more parable to help us understand this. There's a parable in Matthew 25, and maybe in your Bible it actually says the parable of talents. And for so many years, I've heard this parable preached and and taught as it's a parable of talent meaning God has given you maybe an actual talent. God has given you skills. How are you using the skills and the talents that God has given you in life? And when I was preparing for this message, I had actually forgotten that this parable is about money. It's not about skills. It's not about talents that you might have. It's actually a parable where Jesus talks about money. And in the story, there's three individuals. One individual In a story, Jesus says, I'm going to entrust you with five bags of silver. And I'm going to entrust this person with two bags of silver and one person with one bag of silver. And in Matthew 25, verse 19, it says this, After a long time, their master returned from his trip, and he called them to give an account of how they had used his money. Again, whose money was it? It was the master's. The money given to the servants didn't belong to the servants. It belonged to the master. And now they were being called to give an account for how they used their master's money. In the same way, you and I are going to have to give an account to God one day for the money that he has entrusted into our hands just for now. We've all been given different amounts of money to to be managed by the master, just like in the parable, but it's not about how much has been given, but how what has been given has actually been managed. This is not just a hypothetical question. In Matthew 25, Jesus teaches that one day we will have to give an account for how we have used invested the money that God has given entrusted to us. And so the question that I'm asking is, well, how are you doing today with all of the money that God has put in your story, in your hands just for now? Because one day, just like you would give, uh, you have your financial investor have to give you an account for how they did it, we will have to do that with God. Again, not a hypothetical. This will happen. Two servants They doubled their master's money. And you know what the master told them in Matthew 25? Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. Anyone want to take a guess at what he told the servant who was irresponsible with the money that he was entrusted with, who did nothing with the money that he was entrusted with? Well, in Matthew 25, this is the response. You wicked, lazy servant, 
throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Wow, that seems extreme. What are we doing with the master's money is a really big deal to the master. Why? Because the king cares deeply about his kingdom. And when we are not using what he's given us to help others see the king and his kingdom, well, that is a big deal to the king. And again, this is where it's easy to get sideways and just start thinking, God only wants my money. The church only wants my money. God doesn't want your money. God wants our hearts. Again, this is not a financial issue we have. This is a heart issue that we have. Jesus wants your heart, my heart, to be about what his heart was about. His heart was about the kingdom of God. That's why he called his followers, seek first above everything else, my kingdom. And this is why Jesus talks so much about money. He knew that if our hearts craved all the offerings of the world, well, we would miss the most important thing in life, his kingdom, his kingdom. Now, a second step that we can take towards just guarding our hearts against greed and growing and being rich towards God is this. Decide today what you will begin giving to God's kingdom. Now, I'm not going to even suggest a number or a percent that you should be doing. I will just simply invite you to ask God, God, it's all yours. How do you want me to start using what you've given me to invest in your kingdom? I'm guessing for many the thought is, Michael, my goodness, if I actually start giving away money, that down payment that I've been saving for, for that house that I really want, now it's going to get delayed even further. Or Michael, that trip that I really wanted to be taking, I'd been saving up for so long for that trip, if I start giving away money, then I'll, I'll never get to do that. Or some might be thinking, Michael, you don't even know how much debt I have. If I actually start giving money away, my goodness, I'll be debt until I'm dead. And I know these ideas and these thoughts start creeping, and I understand those thoughts, but what we cannot forget is the promise that Jesus gave to those that would choose to seek first above all else his kingdom. Let me read the verse one more time, verse 31. Seek the kingdom of God above all else financially, not just in every area, in every area including our finances, and he will give you everything you need. The stuff that we often stress over and get anxious over and stay up late at night worrying about, how is this going to happen? How am I going to pay this bill? How am I going to do all of these things? Jesus wants us to know If you would seek first my kingdom, trust me with the finances that I've put in your hands just for now. I will take care of everything else that you need. I had uh, our pastor in college, his name was Larry, and uh, Kyle and I dated while we were in college. And he just so thankful for his wisdom, his encouragement, and his challenge. He said, guys, before you even get married, make the decision first of what you will do with the money, the resources that God will entrust into your hands. And he challenged us with that. Don't have the idea that, hey, we don't have money now, so one day when we get money, we'll start giving. No, he said, whatever God's, make the decision today of how you will invest in the kingdom of God now. 
And so for Kyla and I, before we got married, we just made the simple decision, our first investment is going to be in the local church. And we said we're investing in the local church for one reason, because Jesus said he's going to use the local church to reach a lost world. And so we wanted to invest first and foremost in the local church. There are things, other things that we do. We love supporting college ministry because God grabbed a hold of our hearts in college. We have a heart for that. We have a heart for Compassion International. We love supporting that. But our first investment goes to the local church because Jesus said, I will use the local church to reach a lost world. Again, ask God, God, where do you want me to start giving? Guys, this is not about, hey, start giving to Genesis. If you never give to Genesis, that's okay. But please make the decision to start giving today to somewhere or to something because if we don't, greed will rot our hearts. And Jesus tells us a parable of, I don't want you to be the fool. I want you to finish, to get to the end and say, that man, that woman was rich towards God. I wanted to invite a friend of mine up, uh, Dan Berglund, uh, to a nice Genesis welcome. Uh, Dan has been here uh, with his wife and his kids at Genesis for years now, and um, this is not to suggest that uh, Dan is the perfect role model when it comes to uh, just management, uh, but when we were thinking about who would, could share a story and a testimony of how they have learned uh, about money and finances, uh, we wanted to ask Dan to do this. This is somewhat what he does for a living. He works at Goldman Sachs uh, down in the city. Uh, but Dan, I just wanted to ask you a personal question to start. Uh, how have you guarded your heart against greed? It's um, a good question. I, I think maybe to give a little context on that, just I am very much a saver as opposed to a spender. So wherever you are on that spectrum. So greed, for me, creeps in in a much more subtle way. I don't go out and buy a bunch of extravagant things. For me, it's, it's you know, saving and making sure I'm, I'm comfortable and that I have, uh, you know, this, uh, this pot for security, right? And I used to think that, okay, great, that's good stewardship, right? Saving equals good stewardship. And I think over time I realized, no, no, that's really not true. I'm actually, my saving is as greedy of an act as some extravagant spending. And it was really back to your point about where my heart was. So first of all, greed creeps in in a very subtle way for me yeah. personally. Um, I do think that giving is the antidote to that greed. Uh, and thankfully, like, like you and I had early on when I was graduating college, I had a really great mentor of mine who sat me down and said, all right, uh, on a whole host of discipleship issues, but give, you know, money was one. He said, what are you going to, you're going to, get a job, you're going to start working, what are you going to do with the money? I said, I don't know, I'm going to figure it out when I get it, I don't have it now. He said, no, no, you get to, you got to figure it out now. Hmm. And at that point, made a commitment to the Lord of, hey, here's this percent, you know, try to make it sacrificial in a way that um, I was going to commit to. Hmm. And I would love to say that that was easy at first, but it was not. Um, but thankfully, and by God's grace, been able to kind of stay committed to that, and I would say that that has helped uh, reduce the Protect, Yeah. How about um, the idea of rich towards God? Uh, that's yeah. what Jesus encourages us. That's where he wants our hearts. Uh, what does it look like for you and for Anna as well, just to grow and being rich towards God? Yeah. I mean, it's something that Anna and I now be married and as a couple pray about a lot and think through a lot in terms of trying to continue to pursue, Lord, where are the parts of our heart that are still being held back uh, in that giving? I will say that earlier on, even when I was 10 years old, I was 
a stingy little kid with my, uh, my allowance. I'd just save it all, right? I wouldn't spend a thing. My brother would just blow it on whatever video games and stuff. So, I hope your brother doesn't watch this. But yeah, yeah, I know, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Throwing him <laughs> under the bus. <laughs> so I would say even, you know, when I made that commitment, got my first paycheck after college, I'm pretty sure I calculated it down to the penny. Okay, this is, this is what I'm giving. And I thought of giving as simply this Christian obligation, right? I signed up to be a Christian, so okay, this is my duty and I have to do it. As opposed to, and over time, that discipline that I instituted ended up becoming a delight. It ended up becoming more of an act of worship than it really should be. And I, I learned that this isn't just a Christian obligation, right? This is actually part of our whole life discipleship and stewardship yeah. in the same way we'd steward our time or resources or, or, or talents. So. Yeah. Uh, Dan and I have a similar story, and I didn't even know that until this morning, of someone grabbed a hold of us when we were younger, and I honestly wish someone would have grabbed hold of me when I was in middle school or even high school uh, to say, you need to learn this now. Uh, because I've met people who are in their 30s and 40s, their finances are just a mess, and no one came alongside them early on. So mm-hmm. if you're here and you're in high school today, you're in college do this now. Like, figure this out now and cultivate these rhythms today because, like you've mentioned, the idea that, well, I don't have money, but one day when I get money, then I'll eventually start giving. And it's just not true because the habits and the rhythms that you form now, they follow you where you go. So I'm thankful that we have that shared story yeah, someone yeah. told us. Um, it's also easy to give away something you don't have, so. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, two more quick questions. Uh, if there's someone here and they're not giving... And I don't mean just to this church, to anywhere. They're not giving anything. The, the thought mentality is, I don't either have, or I just don't even know how to start, or I just don't want to. What encouragement would you give for someone to, that first step for them to take towards giving? Yeah, I would say uh, just taking a step and, and, and starting to plan, and for us, uh, even building into the budget of, okay, as opposed to figuring out what are we going to give when we get to the end of the budget, mm. making it uh, the first fruits at the, at the start. So I think that's one practical step. But, and I understand that it, it is hard, especially if ends aren't meeting, mm. to say, okay, then I'm going to make this even more difficult. Uh, that's scary. Mm. But I would say that take a step, take a risk, mm. and, and don't just say, okay, well, we'll see what happens with the finances. See what happens with your heart. Because mm. I do think that God will grab our heart in a different way. I do think he's going to provide... This is a God that owns the world, right? If he needed you to have a million dollars tomorrow, he could figure it out, right? Not to say that's going to happen, but um, he doesn't need our money, right? Um, And he will provide, and he does care. And it is a a God who is incredibly gracious, um, but it's 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 more of a heart issue. I like how you said it. It's uh, giving was the antidote for greed. Mm -hmm. Uh, And greed masks itself. You thought one way, and you're like, oh, but giving helps that. Uh, Paul, Apostle Paul says... uh, I want you to excel in the grace of giving. And so um, you guys are learning that, you're growing in that, but what would yeah. your be, encouragement be if someone who's sitting here like, I'm already giving, like yeah. I'm off the hook, this message is not for me. Uh, what would the encouragement be to someone who's currently giving to actually start excelling in the grace of giving? Yeah, and that's, that's definitely my tendency to say, yeah, I don't need this message because I checked the box, right? Mm-hmm. And I know uh, for Ann and I, continuing to pray through that and figuring out, okay, they're, they're def- if I'm honest, and if you guys all looked and saw the details, you'd say, okay, yep, you're still holding on to that. Hmm. And there's still ways, and I'm definitely not perfect just going to stand up here, like there are ways that, of unbelief or hmm. lack of faith. Even we now have two young kids, like the pressures of that hmm. have started to stress test a little bit that commitment again. Hmm. Yeah. Um, and so I would say that 
One is, uh, if you can, invite other people into your life to mm. challenge you in that. Uh, it's an interesting, giving is one of those interesting things in all of the aspects of discipleship. If I was trying to challenge you to be a better serve, you know, better, you know, use more of your time to serve in the church, I can mm. say, come alongside of me and we'll do it together because it's right. very visible and I can see how you spend your time. Whereas uh, in giving, in other parts of scripture, we're told to give in a way that our left hand doesn't know what our right hand is doing, right? right? So it's much more individual and personal, so it's harder to uh, even kind of, as brothers and sisters in Christ, mm. walk alongside each other. Um, but for some people to actually bring them into your life and help them hold you accountable and challenge you in that, I think yeah. that could be healthy. Yeah. Uh, would you guys thank Dan for me to uh, give him a, just a testimony? <laughs>